Our first scripture today is from Romans 12, verses 1 through 10. Therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to order your bodies, offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. Do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. For by the grace given me, I say to every one of you, do not think of yourselves more highly than you ought, but rather think of yourself with sober judgment in accordance with the faith God has distributed to each of you. For just as each of us has one body with many members, and these members do not all have the same function, so in Christ we, though many, form one body, and each member belongs to all the others. We have different gifts according to the grace given to each of us. If your gift is prophesying, then prophesy in accordance with your faith. If it is serving, then serve. If it is teaching, then teach. If it is to encourage, then give encouragement. If it is giving, then give generously. If it is to lead, do it diligently. If it is to show mercy, do it cheerfully. Love must be sincere. Hate what is evil, cling to what is good. Be devoted to one another in love. Honor one another above yourselves. And from the message, Psalm 139, 23 and 24. Investigate my life, O God. Find out everything about me. Cross-examine and test me. Get a clear picture of what I'm about, I'm about. See for yourself whether I've done anything wrong, then guide me on the road to eternal life. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. So thanks for your patience. Apparently we've lost all of our graphics now. But uh, if you did, were able to see it, you would see a picture of a road in Vancouver overlooking the campus, uh, from the campus of where I used to attend, down to the beach. Um, that was my alma mater, U University of British Columbia and Re Regent College are located on Oceanside Bluffs um, <clears throat> next to the ocean on a peninsula. And there's one road that drops down from the campus to the beach that has become a popular route for cyclists because of its amazing views, but also because it's a good hill to train on. And a friend gifted me this hill training session uh, on that hill. And, but I think it should be more accurately called a paid borderline abuse session. <clears throat> because it involved repeating that hill multiple times at maximum effort until it felt like you were going to puke your lungs every single time. And to add to that, the trainer would come up beside you as you're huffing and puffing up the hill, and then he'd yell at you, saying, come on, Andrew, that's all you got? Go harder. And then he'd insert a bunch of colorful language. Come on, you get, and you're going to let her get away from you? Come on. And then he'd pedal up to the next person to encourage them in the same manner. <clears throat> to get to the top and then loop back down to the bottom and repeat the same thing again. So I was thinking as I was riding, people actually pay for this? To be yelled at? To be in pain? And here I was, submitting myself to it. I, I finished it. Why did I endure this? Well, it's because I had hit a plateau in my cycling. You know, I was cycling pretty regularly, but my fitness and my speeds weren't improving. I needed to change what I was used to doing. I needed to try something different so I could become a more complete cyclist. I wanted to grow. And to do that, I needed the help from others, with others who had different strengths than I did, particularly in hill climbing. And in my cycling, I wanted to pass 
that plateau in my cycling. You know, in our Abide message series, we're learning how to nurture our relationship with God. And specifically, we're cultivating this union in Christ. And as we learned last week in the opening message, our union in Christ is both a gift and a process. It's a gift of a relationship that we receive, not because of anything that we do, but it's also a process of how we are changed and formed to be more like the person that God intended for us to be. But like any meaningful relationship, there comes seasons where we often hit a plateau. We get into a rut, a relationship stagnates, we get too busy to put time into it, we get distracted, we get overwhelmed by our circumstances because sometimes life just happens, right? And sometimes even a relationship simply just fades. And in today's message, I want to look at how we can pass this plateau in our relationship with God so we can continue to experience the wholeness and love and generosity that God intends for us. As usual, we'll go through this in three movements. Plateau, sponsored by P, preferences, and potential. Plateau, preferences, and potential. Abiding in God is about formation, as we've been learning. When we mine the depths of this union in Christ, we discover that change is an inevitable result. But how do we measure that change? How do we know that we are being, what we are being transformed into? Paul writes the Roman church in uh, Romans 12, verse 1, saying this, as uh, Roz read for us, Therefore I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. Paul uses these words, living sacrifice. And if you've been around the church for a while, I think the words just kind of roll off your tongue with ease. But have you ever thought what a living sacrifice is? A sacrifice typically is in a temple, is where an animal is slaughtered, as in they're dead, and they're laid on the sacrificial altar. But here Paul is saying, offer your lives, offer your bodies, not to be slaughtered on the altar of sacrifice, but offer your bodies as a living sacrifice. It's a continuous process, which implies that there are more and more parts of our lives that in our human experience, that are offered to God to be changed. What's the goal? To be holy and pleasing. And to be, uh, to, this is our act of proper worship. You see, worship isn't just something we do here on Sundays. Worship is what we are when we be, to become. Worship is what we are to become. As we offer our lives to God, we are being transformed into Christ's likeness. That's what it means to be a living sacrifice. And as we learned last week, various church traditions have uh, described this Christ-like change as sanctification, as mortification, or as theosis, depending on what tradition you're coming from. But here's the reality of, li of a living sacrifice. We're alive, but most of the time, we want to get off that altar of sacrifice, right? We're not dead, so we have will, and we have freedom. We want to get off that altar of sacrifice. We don't want to stay there naturally, and because of that, we end up plateauing in the process of growth and transformation into Christ's likeness. How do we recognize a plateau? You know, last week we learned about the connection between our obedience to God's commands and to abiding in Him. They are directly and thoroughly correlated. 
But I get it. In our anti-authority, anti-law, anti-submission culture that we live in, our hearts bristle at focusing on these commands. In other words, we don't want to feel bad about all the commands that we don't live up to in Scripture. So we kind of discard some that are inconvenient to us, or we rationalize how some don't apply to us. But how about another way of looking, of looking at it? Rather than measuring what, whether we've plateaued by looking at a list of commands, checking those ones that we're good at and crossing off the ones that we're not, how about looking at the health of our emotions and our relationships that are connected to those commands? Put it this way, if we were to look at your life, if each of us were to look at our lives, think back one year ago, September 2021, where were you at? How are you feeling? Who was around you? And ask yourself, these, how would you answer these questions? Compare yourself a year ago to today. Is it coming in? Okay. Am I more loving? Am I more compassionate? Am I more patient? Am I more forgiving? Am I more caring? Am I more giving compared to a year ago? Think of myself a year ago. Am I less angry? Am I less fearful? Am I less anxious? Am I giving more of my finances? Am I giving more of my time to others? Can you answer affirmative in all these areas? If others who observe your life, would they agree with your affirmation? Or would they say, hey, Andrew, uh, I know you're trying, but uh, you're pretty much the same as last year, or, or maybe even <laughs> a little weaker in some of these areas. Of course, Though this list starts with our emotion and our emotional and relational experience, they are connected deeply to God's commands. They're actually what Paul calls the fruits of the Spirit in his letter to the Galatians. They are fruits of the branches being connected to the vine, that is Jesus, if we use John 15, John's imagery of the vine and the branches. See, acknowledging where we are, have plateaued is okay. Asking honest questions like this isn't a bad thing. It's a good thing. It helps us honestly face where we need help in this goal of abiding in Christ and to begin taking steps in that direction. Now, there are many reasons why we plateau, but I want to focus on one that this passage might reveal to us. Paul writes to the Romans in verse uh, 3, saying that you should not think of yourselves more highly than you ought. Oh, we've got it coming back up. There's a picture of that road. <laughs> you should not think of yourselves more highly than you ought, in verse 3. And as we read further, the passage clearly speaks to various roles, various gifts that make up a local gathering of Christ followers. In both Romans 12 and its parallel passage in 1 Corinthians 12, Paul speaks to these various gifts and various roles that are meant to be expressed in the context of a community to build up the body of Christ. That's how the church has traditionally understood this passage, and it, I think it makes sense. But we can also take Paul's encouragement to apply the different ways, uh, to apply them to the different ways that we engage in our relationship with God. You see, in God's creativity, God has uniquely wired each one of us and gifted us 
with various personality types. Now, you may have come across these personalities, Myers-Briggs with all their four-letter pairings or Enneagrams. And they're based on psychological theory. They have been helpful tools to help name our various personality types. And they're particularly helpful in a team or workplace setting so that you can best communicate and relate to people who are different from you. For instance, I am an ISTJ, if you're familiar with that. I'm a borderline EI and I'm borderline J and P, but the S and T's are really strong for me. And more, if you're familiar with this, there's I and E is extroversion, introversion, which means for me as an introversion, it means I prefer to focus on and get my energy from ideas and images rather than from people and things. And the sensing part of me means I take in the world through my senses, the five senses, as opposed to my intuition. And that third pairing, the T versus uh, F versus F, feeling, means that I put more weight in my decision-making on logic and consistency rather than on where my feelings take me. Who, feelers will prioritize the people involved and the unique circumstances. And that last pairing, judging versus perceiving, is how I structure and order the orient the outer world. I tend to be more task-oriented as a judging person. It doesn't mean we're judges, doesn't mean you're judgmental, okay? Judging means how we orient the world around us. So I make decisions by following through on a plan rather than uh, just following what I perceive needs to be done at the time. Recognizing these patterns of preference has helped me understand myself, but also, but also understand others and communicate with those who are not like me. And we all go through these stages of self-discovery as we move through life. Here's the thing. As we become more aware of the way we're wired, we can be tempted to over-rely on our particular pattern of preference. Our personalities and preferences also influence how we relate to God. You can take a look at this chart of um, Myers-Briggs types and how they influence the way we pray. I don't know if you know your type, you can pick one. So ES ESFPs will pray something like this. God, help me to take things more seriously, especially parties and dancing. <laughs> ESFJ might say, Lord, give me patience, and I mean now. The way we're wired influences the way we turn and relate to God. The T's amongst us find beauty in theology and scripture study. The S's amongst us delight in the use of candles and incense and lighting and artwork to inspire worship. The N's and the F's amongst us find beauty in how God's love meets people and changes their lives. And the J's amongst us love to have a clear order of service. And you walk into our church and you don't get a bulletin that tells you what's happening today and you feel anxious. And the extroverted J's will tell, definitely tell someone when we're going overtime in the service. And the P's just love to give lots of space for God to move and appreciate those spontaneous moves of the Spirit. The eyes amongst us, we love solitude and contemplation and perhaps even love worshiping virtually from home. While the E's amongst us are energized, we're looking forward to the next time we can get together. Lots of music, lots of sounds, lots of talking and fellowship, and we love to see God at work when people are together. Our challenge lies in recognizing the, the unique individuality of each person expressed in our personality, 
but without prioritizing that particular personality or pattern as the norm or as the best for our formation. See, no one pattern of preference is better than the others. Not one personality type is more spiritual or more connected to God. And I know all of you are going to look up later what Myers-Briggs type was Jesus. And if you happen to be like him, it's like, yes, I'm more Christ-like. But that's not the point. Each has its strength, and that influences in how we relate to God with our spirituality. You see, the goal of holistic spiritual growth, both in emotional, relational, and spiritual, is not to achieve some ideal XXXX Myers-Briggs type. There is no preferential set of Myers-Briggs letters that indicates that you are more mature than others. Instead, true maturity, as we look at this area of personality and patterns of preference, true maturity is recognizing what we prefer, recognizing how that preference limits us in our relationship with God, and how our shadow side, those things that we're not, we don't prefer, the side that we don't naturally aren't inclined towards, may enhance our lives and enhance our relationship with God. Ruth Haley Barton created, instead create, uh, creatively inserts Myers-Briggs personality types into 1 Corinthians 12 as a creative description of our mutual interdependence. So this is what she says. You, 1 Corinthians 12, 14 to 17. She goes, Even so, the community of faith does not consist of one pattern of preference, but of many. If the INTJ should say, because I'm not an ESFP, I do not belong to the community, that would not make it less, any less a part of the community. And if the INTP should say, because I'm not an ESFJ, I do not belong to the community, that would not make it any less a part of the community. If the whole community were an INFJ, where would be the ESTP? And if the whole community were an INFP, where would be the ESTJ? The ISTJ cannot say to the ENFP, I have no need of you, nor again, the ISTP to the ENFJ, I have no need of you. <clears throat> Haley Barton points out this instinct that we're all inclined towards because of our ignorance, whether it's our ignorance, whether it's our immaturity, or whether it's our insecurity, we like to lean into our own preferences and we think that they're better than others. We tend to think of our pattern of preference as the norm. But even worse, we might think of other pattern of preferences as strange or maybe wrong or maybe immature or perhaps even heretical. Paul continues in 1 Corinthians 12 to describe how this diversity of individual patterns of preferences has been God-arranged. It's been planned by God. God assembles a group of people together. God is sovereign in assigning and assembling these diverse gifts in a particular faith community. And the purpose of this unity amongst diversity is so that we can care for each other well, so we can encourage each other well and grow together in Christ. Just as we sang in that last hymn. So how does this all relate to our plateauing in our relationship with God? You know, we often hit a plateau in our relationship with God when we over-prioritize our pattern of preference at the expense of building up this shadow side of the, those things that we don't prefer. We're not able to grow and flourish in the way that God intends for us, both corporately as a body, but individually in our relationship with God. 
So how do we live up to this full potential of our union in Christ in light of our preferences? Paul encourages the Romans and the Corinthians after recognizing how God has put these diff, uh, d- different people together, saying this. Take a look at verses 10 and 13 and 16. Verse 10. Be devoted to one another in love. Honor one another above yourselves. Verse 13. Share with the Lord's people who are in need. Practice hospitality. Verse 16. Live in harmony with one another. Do not be proud, but be willing to associate with people of low position or different preferences. Do not be conceited. You know, again, reading these passages in light of our patterns or preference, we are tempted to hold our, pre- we are invited to hold our preferences humbly and to exercise our preferences in ways that build up the church and be, to be built up by others in the church. In other words, every unique person in the body of Christ with their unique patterns of preference and how they relate to God, every one of us is a gift to each other person here in the body of Christ. Everything is done in community. There's no solo spirituality. Our interdependence, we depend on one another, especially with those who are different from us, is what adds to the potential of our relationship with God. Here at WCF, I think we're beautifully set up for unity amidst diversity when we call ourselves a multi-theological congregation. We recognize and appreciate the gifts of our unique theological views and traditions that each of us bring to this community. But here's an observation and also a personal confession. I'm afraid that we, and I myself, have tried to build our unity around respectful diversity rather than building our unity around our union in Christ amidst that diversity. We've tried to build our unity around respecting diversity rather than building our unity around our union in Christ amongst that diversity. Find shift there. See, WCF is a place that recognizes our respective Baptist, Reformed, Presbyterian, Anglican, liturgical, high church, low church, charismatic, contemplative. Insert whatever you bring to our church community and practices that have shaped you. And I think we genuinely appreciate the traditions and preferences of others, but we simply leave it there. We're happy to say, isn't WCF great? It's a place where I can engage with God in the way that I feel comfortable, and I can do that next to someone else who engages with God in the way that they feel comfortable. But we often just stay in our lanes without taking the opportunity to build up these other patterns of relating to God that we would not naturally prefer. And as a result, our individual relationship with God plateaus. And our corporate relationship with God plateaus. So let me put it another way. Using the image of fitness as a parallel to our relationship with God, some of us here have great abs. Some of us have strong biceps. Some of us have great calves. And if WCF were a gym, we might say, man, I'm so glad I go. This is the best gym ever. You know why? Because Julia, she's got amazing abs. You got to meet her. And Jerry, he's got these amazing biceps. And you know, I'm so glad that God gave me great calves. It's God's gift to me. And I'm so glad that my calves are appreciated here at this gym. But we leave it 
there alone. I'm a calves guy. I, I, if I don't humbly recognize that I can get stronger abs by learning from Julia and how she gets, got her abs and learning from Jerry about how he got his nice biceps. And if you walk into a gym that is WCF, you might just see a bunch of single muscle group gym rats. Let that image fill your brain right now. We've got this first step right. We recognize each of our strengths in how we relate to God, but we're not acknowledging our own weaknesses in how we relate to God. We haven't taken the step of curiosity and humility and interdependence that Paul directs the Roman and church, uh, Corinthian church to, and we all suffer as a result. Our relationship with God plateaus. Our health plateaus. What's the big deal about hitting a spiritual plateau? You might say, why does everything have to be growing all the time? That's toxic capitalistic colonialism impinging on my spirituality with God. <laughs> Can't we just learn to be content with what God's given to me? Here's the thing. When we plateau in our relationship with God, we can participate in Christian community, but with a spiritual facade. It's what Paul describes to his protege, Timothy, as having a form of godliness without its power. In 2 Timothy 3. Another form of plateauing is more subtle and destructive. Our spiritual life may appear lively on the outside, but inside, it's dead. We look like we're connected to Jesus, but inside, we're withering away because we're not actually connected to Jesus. It's what John uh, challenges the church of Thyatira in Revelations 2. Whether it's through intention or neglect, an under-nurtured shadow side of our preferences will eventually demand its attention from us. We either develop them now or we'll be forced to confront them later. Why? How? Well, so intuitive types without structure and order and accountability, we can find ourselves in unhealthy expressions of sensuality, perhaps disconnected from truth and reality. Often this comes out in sexual temptation or unhealthy relationships. We see that, unfortunately, coming out very publicly for some Christian leaders. Some of us are thinking types. We develop this robust theological structure, and we find beauty in it. But we find it tempting to emotionally explode because we have not paid attention to our emotions and our feelings in a healthy manner. And when they do come out, it's like a fire hydrant. It's anger that damages others. We raise our voices in an attempt to intimidate and control others. Intuitive types need practices to ground their spirituality in God's word and in tradition. Thinking types need practices that attend to our emotions in a healthy manner. What will help us when we plateau in our relationship with God is paying attention to our shadow side, to nurture it towards health. And in a church like WCF, we have the gift to nurture that with those who are worshiping right beside us with each of our unique personalities and patterns of preference. There's this big table on the screen. You can take a picture of it, and there's a QR code that will take you to the book. Um, but it comes from the Center for Applications of Personality Type. 
They've created this table that highlights what we can do to nurture our shadow side by looking at all the 16 Myers-Briggs types or categories and what the strengths are spiritually and what the weaknesses are and what practices we might be able to introduce to help attend to those shadow sides. It comes from this book by, uh, by Robert Mulholland and Ruth Haley Barton entitled An Invitation to a Journey. I encourage you, it's a very accessible, easy uh, book that will take us further into what it means to abide in Christ and to take spiritual disciplines that will help build up those shadow sides. Recognize our plateaus. Recognize our patterns of preference in our relationship with God. But nurture our shadow side with others in the body of Christ so that our formation in Christ's likeness can reach its full potential. This takes self-awareness, it takes humility, it takes support of a community, but it's worth the journey, <coughs> and we don't do it alone, because the Spirit of God graciously invites us and guides us. You know, as we conclude today, let me invite you to close your eyes just for a moment, take a couple of deep breaths, slow and full, you breathe in God's love. Breathe out your anxiety. Breathe in the truth of God and what he invites you to. And breathe out all the lies that you tell yourself and what the world around tells us. And hear these words of uh, Ruth Haley Barton as she paraphrases Psalm 139, verse 23 and 24. Search me, God, and know my heart. Test me and know my anxious thoughts. See if there is any underdeveloped, undernourished part of my personality and lead me to a more holistic, life-giving way. We ask these things in the strong and faithful name of your son, Jesus.